0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pet Working, a podcast focused on animal health and pet care. I'm here today with uh, Jeffrey Bishop Hill, the SVP of Marketplace at Ruvet, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about a key issue uh, plaguing the industry that I don't think a lot of people are aware of, and, and that is veterinary staffing shortages and veterinary burnout. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time, and, and welcome to Pet Working. Thank you. Happy to
1: be here. Happy, excited to talk, talk with you
0: yeah no, this is great uh for uh for the audience's benefit uh Jeff and I uh, met at Western vet uh, a few months back, and um guys put on a, a very nice uh reception there and uh, it was a great chance to to get to learn about RuVet. and um you know I think one of the the key themes that we saw you know throughout uh the show at western vet jeff was was the idea of work life balance, veterinary burnout, consolidator models, relief models, and um was really interested to, to see RuVet's take on this and, and uh, your introduction of a, a fairly unique, um, heretofore unreplicated uh, veter- veterinary relief model.
1: So, do you want to give us a
0: little bit of background on, on RuVet and uh, sure. fill in everybody on what you're doing?
1: Of course, happy to do so. So, uh, Ru is a platform that connects veterinarians and vet technicians with hospitals who are looking to fill relief shifts. Um, So basically it's independent contractor work. um, And we kind of think of our our space um, in the animal healthcare industry as a disruptor in traditional staffing models. Um, So the impact of like the shortage of vets and vet techs um, has been felt actually for many years. And um, so we <clears throat> started up in 2018 with the goal of, you know, helping hospitals find real quality talent in a um, super easy to use way. So think of it kind of like a dating profile in a sense, right? So the hospital has a, a profile. It shows kind of what it's like to work there, what their culture is like, what the expectations are of the shift um, that the vet or the vet tech is going to be taking. I.e., is it you know, general wellness, is it surgery, etc.? And then vets and vet techs get to come onto the platform, take a look at the shifts that the hospitals post and basically request them um, if they sound like they're a good fit. Then the hospital takes a look at the uh, the, the person requesting the, the shift. And if it's a good fit, it's a match, then they accept that shift and the vet or vet tech will come work that shift. Um, and then it's a Three hundred and sixty degree review process. So each of those actors, the hospital and the vet or vet tech, will go ahead and um, rate and review the hospital, and those are all public, so everybody can kind of see, you know, what everything looks like. So yeah, that's Rue in a in a very quick nutshell.
0: Yeah, no, that that that's great. And and you know, from your guys' perspective, the the economic benefit to you is is you guys are taking a, a small percentage for in exchange for providing the technology platform and and the marketplace um, through which those transactions are conducted, correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. So it's a platform fee. So the vet and vet tech never pay anything. um, And the hospital actually does not pay anything either. It's free to set up profiles on both sides of the platform. Um, The hospital will only pay when they accept the shift. Um, So that's how that works.
0: Okay. So that it it isn't taken out of the vet's pay. the hospital pays a premium to you in addition to paying the vet
1: that's correct. yep. So what the vet or the vet tech see as the daily rate that they're getting on the uh, platform itself, either the app or the website, that's exactly what they'll get. Um, there's no kind of like hidden gotchas in in that that area very that's transparent
0: awesome. that's awesome. That's awesome, so I mean, you you could almost liken it to an, an Uber or a, a a DoorDash. You can sign up, take ships, um, sort of translating veterinary and vet tech work into the gig economy, so to speak.
1: We like to think, yes, yeah, so that's, that's true. We like to think of ourselves as a little bit more of a community builder in this space as well. So uh, it's not kind of one of those like, you know, you go and make a delivery and it's a one and done. There's no interaction with anybody. Um, we host uh, continuing education events across the country. Uh, we do happy hours and meetups so that vets and vet techs can meet and mingle with each other, um, you know, in kind of like a safe, uh, fun space. And uh, we're really all, <clears throat> there's also a digital community. We've got exclusive Facebook groups where um, actually kind of interesting, uh, vets go and they have like clinical discussions. They, they might like post a picture of like a Uh, you know, a surgery that they've recently done and, you know, kind of ask for feedback, that sort of thing. So we're really about building community as as being an independent contractor or vet tech can be a bit lonely because you're moving from hospital to hospital. So so we take the extra step to build that sense of community as well.
0: Sure. Sure. And maybe that's a good jumping off point, Jeff. You know, I, I think a lot of people probably don't necessarily understand, and, and I, I know the first time we chatted, you know, you, you pointed me to the uh, the TED talk with uh, Dr. Melanie Boden. Um Also, you know, that there's there's lots of good articles about there. There's one that came out last summer in the Atlantic on you know why it's so hard to to find a vet. But I think for a lot of people, um, they look at it from you know their own perspective, right? They look at it as the perspective of a pet owner and. Why can't I find veterinary services? Why is it so hard for me to get my pet into the you know, emergency clinic? Um, why is it you know why can't why am I booking four weeks out to to get an appointment for my vet at my local practice? Um, and and I think you know people obviously are lead busy lives, but um, you know I, one of the things I wanted to call attention to here, and I think you know is probably a big part of of uh, mission. Correct me if I'm wrong. But, um, you know, it is the fact that there needs to be an appreciation and an understanding for what vets are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And I, I think, you know, some of the statistics out there, um, you know, they're, they're not very comfortable for people to, to reconcile with. But the fact that vets are, you know, the, the second most, the, the profession that is second most likely uh, to commit suicide after police officers, that, Uh, female veterinarians are three and a half times more likely than the general population to take their own life. Um, The fact that you have this population where people are leaving the profession because of burnout and and fatigue, um, you know, I I think bringing that to to the forefront and helping people understand why models like RUVET are so important um, in, in terms of giving that sense of community and giving relief to veterinary clinics, um, you know, it, it's a very important model and something, uh, you know, in, in our work here at, at My Strategy that we see, you know, you see the consolidation models, you see, you know, that there's certainly the monetary side of the business, but so often what goes unseen in, in that, you know, dollars and cents analysis is the underlying uh, issues of, of mental health burnout.
1: Yeah, and and that's that's exactly, um, you know, Rue is a very mission driven company, right? So we want to empower vets and vet technicians to be able to have a manageable work life balance, because it is that unmanageable balance when you're in a situation where maybe you're locked into a multiple year agreement with um, a hospital or a big corporation as a vet or vet tech, that you don't really get to control your hours. Um, And that can be very overwhelming, right? Um, And it's for good reason, like the, obviously the economics have to make sense in a hospital for it to work. But um, the other thing that's happening is, you know, a vet's day could be, you know, 14 hours, 16 hours, something crazy because you might do a few surgeries, you have to follow up, you have to make sure that they're stable, et cetera. There's all kinds of post care. And then you're going to have people coming to the you know hospital with emergency situations that haven't booked an appointment. And like, how, how hard is it to turn away an animal that's been injured or, you know, something like that or, or hit by a car, for example. It's just not very easy to say no to situations like that. And so schedules would get impacted so quickly on a daily basis. And what we hope to do at RU is, again, give the a clinician um, the opportunity to kind of control that, right? So they set their own hours, um, and they are able to, um, you know, kind of go in and out um, uh, in a little bit of a more manageable way um, than again, if they were working for either a big corporation um, or even if they if they own their own practice. I mean, you're still facing, you know, uh, cli- you know, clients really who don't understand that you're, you know, also a human and like need a break and need that family time, need the release. Um, they just care about, you know, their animal, which makes sense, right? So it's a really tricky line that uh, all these uh, clinicians or, you know, vets and vet techs are, are walking, and we hope to help define that a
0: little bit more. Yeah. And, and I think on the flip side of it too, you know, I mean, obviously that's a huge benefit for the vets that are on your platform is, is they can take more of that contractor approach. Um, you know, they can remove that, that burden of feeling tied to their own practice or to a corporate practice or something like that. But at the same time, you know, they're providing relief for the people who still own their own practice or who are in, uh, you know, a, uh, a large corporate owned, you know, whether that's PE or, you know, uh, one of the larger hospital chains, um, they're able to go in and maybe give them, you know, a day off or, you know, help them out, you know, so that that 12 hour day doesn't turn into a 16 hour day.
1: Yep, and that's exactly what, um, you know, sort of the, the hospitals that use us, um, that's one of the ways that they absolutely incorporate our services. Is you know, hey, they you know, if it's a two two vet practice and one of them is getting married, um, you know, hey, there's an opportunity for a, a vet to come in from Peru and help out for you know that week or two that they're out. Um, also, uh, very popular during the holidays um, and, and other special events. But I will say this. Our bread and butter is actually just kind of like regular traditional shifts. Um, the demand for vet care obviously increased dramatically um, over the course of the pandemic with, uh, you know, tons and tons of, of, of folks uh, purchasing or adopting pets. Um, and so, you know, the, basically like every hospital is just to its max. Um, and that's all across the U.S., right? We're finding, you know, we operate right now at about 20 markets. And we're finding that, you know, the vast majority of them just don't have enough vet or vet techs who live in the area to take on the load of all of the new patients. And something common you'll see out there, too, is that, like, hospitals cannot accept new patients. And that's just because they're literally all to their max and they want to try to provide as much care as possible. So that's, like, a great example of where, you know, Rue can step in and help with uh, additional doctors or techs. Um, to to help
0: with that that patient flow, yeah. I mean, I think the root of the problem here that a lot of you know, and I, and I don't know that that there's necessarily a, a single solution that's going to address it. But there's a significant shortage of veterinarians in this country. Uh, you know, I, obviously, you alluded to the, you know the the influx in new pet adoptions during COVID. Um, you know, I think simultaneously we saw. People, you know, vets who are reaching retirement age decide, you know what, I'm I'm just I'm going to take an early retirement. It's not worth it for me to, you know, to stay on and, and deal with the hassles of providing care during COVID, risk getting COVID myself. Um, similarly, you know, the veterinary profession skews very heavily female and female veterinarians with children. Um, we're put in a position where I can continue to go to work or I can stay home with my kids who don't have School open. I I can very relate. <laughs> I can relate to that uh, very personally right now. After you know three years in, my son was home with COVID last week, and my wife and I were, were juggling care. Um, so you know we're seeing um, a a downtick in in veterinarians. I think uh, you know the statistic uh, Dr. Bowden referenced in her TED talk was uh, we're seeing a decrease in veterinarians on about a 5% a year basis. Um, Whereas I I saw another article in the Atlantic where a study that I think it was Mars ran is projecting that we're going to need 41,000 additional veterinarians to meet demand by, by 2030. So, um, you know, certainly there, there is a demand for, you know, these relief that shifts, but at, you know, I, I guess the question I would ask you is, is there, at a certain point, is it sort of just a shell game where we have vets going into a, a contract uh, model, but we're still short the total number of veterinarians, and, and you know, what do you see as the potential remedies for that situation? Yeah, so at
1: the kind of the top of, of your question there, um, you mentioned the schools. I think there's, there's only about 30 or so accredited veterinary schools in the country um, so that means that not even every major metro has a, cl- a nearby, um, you know, veterinary school. So that does make it challenging. And I think you're right. Um, just, just overall, in general, um, there's been a decrease in the number of people coming into those um, those schools. So you know, the the real challenge is at the at the you know, quote unquote, top of the funnel. Um, we just we do we need more students to go into the profession, um, and so. What Rue does, and also like we see a number of our clients uh, doing this as well, um, is you know we're attending all of the uh, you know school career fairs. We're going to every conference that we possibly can um, to get our name out there at the top of the funnel. Rue actually has a free to use um, part of our app and, and website, um, Rue University, and it, it has uh, postings for internships and externships. So um, basically like anybody can post for free, any uh, veterinary clinic can post for free so that students can learn uh, more about what they're offering. Um, so fundamentally the top of the funnel is, is where we have to be focusing um, in order to to get more people into, you know, just the veterinary profession in general. Uh, but once they're there, I think like a lot of, you know, a lot of these, these groups, in, including Rue, um, have realized that we've got to be front and center there Right at the beginning of that veterinarian or vet techs journey um, to get our name out there and try to attract them because it is a very very competitive space when there's a shortage obviously on the sort of you know supply side if you will. Um, so yeah, you're you're correct. We have to we have to figure out a way to um, to attract more students and uh, and folks into the profession and and we think that Rue is doing that basically by providing an opportunity for a work-life balance that doesn't currently exist um so that's like that's where we think that we come through to, to help
0: yeah do you, i mean do you see I, I think it's a great point and you know i i, I think it, it you know when you hear you know somebody like dr bowden you know talking about her day as a veterinarian of you know i i get there at, at quarter of eight and i've already got a uh a, you know a client with a dying pet that i have to attend to and then you know pet, you know, they're they're unable to save it. And then she has a tech, you know, coming waving her at like 820 because there's her eight o'clock appointment is upset that the they she's 20 minutes late because she was trying to yeah. provide care to this dying pet. And that's just the start of the day. And you know, as she yeah. goes on, it's you know she talks about how um you know well we take you know the these drop off appointments for you know people who have who need emergency care but you know aren't on the schedule and so I try to fit them in where I can through the day and um, you know it it is not a a linear day that I think a lot of people in a tradition in a traditional office you know business setting can relate to I mean we. I think as business professionals, we're all aware of fire drills, but, you know, in the, in the context of the veterinary profession, you're dealing with, you know, in a lot of cases, life and death of a pet uh, on a day-to-day basis. And you can't always provide the best care, um, either because the client doesn't have insurance or doesn't have the financial means to pay for the, the, the best course of treatment. Or they may be yep. advocating for you to save their pet when you know, compassionately, the best thing to do for that animal is, is euthanasia. And um, But either way, that, that takes an incredible physical toll and then you layer that in with, you know, I think Dr. Baden said, you know, regularly she works 50 to 80 hours a week. And yep. because of the student debt pressure, you know, she, in addition to her own practice, is taking on extra shifts. Um, That that doesn't paint a picture of work-life balance that I can, you know, that I would think anybody would want to go into. I mean, not only are you, you know, you've gone to school for however many years and incurred, I think she said, $286,000 worth of debt to become a veterinarian. And then once you become a veterinarian, you're faced with I've got to be on the face of my practice. I've got to deal with all of the, my clients who want what's best for their pets, but um, I'm not and, always put, yeah.
1: And, and, and
0: emergencies, and
1: it, the list, it can go on and on and, and seem really, um, it, it can seem scary. And again, I think that's, that's why, I mean, student, student loan debt is a whole other issue, um, which you and I have talked about before and just the, the price of education Um, in America. But um, I will say that there's, you know, there's obviously a ton of positives um, for uh, veterinarians as well, um, you know, coming into the industry. And again, like, there is a lot of emerging technology and the goal of a lot of these platforms, like Rue, like ourselves, of course, but there's other platforms and and there's other tools out there as well um, that are coming out. And the goal of them is to reduce that stress on the, um, the clinician. So, um, you know, again, hopefully that's a nice tr- continuing trend um, that, again, helps make the space more attractive. Um, but I will say, you know, for like people that are thinking about coming into the industry, it's definitely not all doom and gloom. There's just a lot of challenges out there because, um, you know, there's just a shortage right now. But I do think, you know, it's certainly an in-demand profession. Um, so you're not going to have a trouble, you know, finding um, finding work if you come into the industry, that's for sure. Uh, wages are going up um, for, you know, vets and vet techs. We certainly see that ourselves. We have kind of a dynamic uh, pricing model and we definitely can see that, you know, overall uh, rates are are going up. Um, and so that's, a, you know, there, there's definitely some positives too. And I think that there are a lot of wonderful companies out there that are um, not only trying to make it more bearable, but trying to make the industry a really exciting space to be in.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you have to, right? Because, you know, you don't get into a profession like this unless you have a true drive, a true calling, a true passion and love for animals. And, um, you know, I, I think it was it was so prevalent to me to see the number of companies at Western that, that were focused on work-life balance. But, yeah. you know, I, I think it, it's bearing in mind all, you know. And, and I don't want to dwell on the downside or scare anybody away from becoming a veterinarian, but, you know, I do think it, it is that recognition of, you know, we need to provide a better way um, for people in the veterinary profession. Um, and, and you know, having that North Star, like Ruvet does to say, you know what, that's what we're focused on, is making sure that our vets have a better work-life balance. and And maybe it is this contractor model where you don't have to worry about You know, the being tied to a given clinic or being tied to a contract or seeing, you know, I have all this student debt and these long uh, 16-hour days and I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I think that that's a a great thing to offer them. I, You know, I'd be curious to your opinion because I thought the other really neat piece um, of of the TED Talk that you referred to with with Dr. Baden was – her call for responsible pet ownership and it being sort of a a two-way contract between pet owners and and the veterinarian and that you know we can't be pet owners that are just going in only when something's wrong we you know we need to be doing these annual well visits you need to be you know getting pet insurance and and to me it the lack of adoption of pet insurance continues to baffle me that you know we sit at two and a half three percent um but you know that that would be that's a huge rallying cry for me is that you know i i think there needs to be more adoption of pet insurance out there um i i'd be curious you know yeah I, i don't you know i
1: i totally i totally agree with you and i agree to that that calling per se as well i think first of all you know your pets are like humans, right, they, they, wellness is, is so important for preventative medicine. Um, and so taking, you know, your animals in for, uh, you know, a, at least an annual, um, physical is, is super important because you catch things, you know, in blood panels, et cetera, um, that could be issues that really, you know, explode into something catastrophic and costly. Um, and so there are, you know, kind of segueing into pet insurance, um, there are, that is a industry that is growing like wildfire. Um, so if you want to invest in something, that is an excellent, excellent place to go to, uh, but- Better than yeah. veterinary consolidation? <laughs> yeah, well that, that too, but um, <laughs> the, that, that, or excuse me, uh, animal insurance is, is really critical. And it also like helps make, you know, those kind of scary, potentially expensive situations um, a lot more uh, digestible and easy to handle. And, um, but, you know, veterinary insurance, by the way, too, um, it's, it's, it can be very, very efficient from a cost perspective. You know, really, there are some plans out there, especially if you get it for, you know, a puppy um, that are really, really affordable. Um, and so it's definitely, definitely something that, you know, on the consumer side of things, uh, pet owner side of things that, yeah, we would definitely encourage that as well.
0: Yeah, I I would, you know, in addition to managing Maya's uh, animal health and pet care practice, I also do our finance and insurance. So pet insurance sits at the intersection of that for me. And I, I would I would wholeheartedly echo get pet insurance when you get a new puppy, a new kitten, when you adopt a pet. You know, the big limitation with pet insurance is those preexisting conditions. And if you have a pet with a clean bill of health, everything from that point forward is going to be covered. And I, I will say everybody I know who has pet insurance, I've had pet insurance since we adopted Peony, who's sitting here next to me uh, six years ago. Um, and we've come out ahead every year. Um, and, and it's made that, it in my opinion, it removes the barrier of, you know, do I want to take my pet to the vet? Do I not want to? Because you know it's going to be covered um, and you can get, like you said, you get out ahead of things that otherwise could be you know, catastrophic health, uh, conditions. Um, we adopted Peony as a, um, she was a stray from South Carolina and when we adopted her, we were told she was heartworm negative. And a few weeks after we had her, she kind of pulled one of her, her grind muscles and we brought her into the vet. And, um, when we were getting the, they did some laser therapy on it and told us to come back in a week. And when we were getting the follow-up, they said, you know, we should just do a snap test just to make sure it's not Lyme or lycia or some sort of tick-borne illness. I said sure, that's great. Um, and the test came back negative for all the sick borne illnesses, but it came back positive for heartworm because it was in the microfilaria stage when we adopted her. Um, she was ruled heartworm negative, but actually had heartworm. And if we had waited another few months, she would have died. Um, yeah. You know. The heartworm would have got gotten to a point where it couldn't have been treated, um, so we got incredibly lucky there. But- yeah,
1: and the more time you have too in a situation like that, the more options you have, right? So that's another thing that you know those sort of annual exams really help with. Um, and and in your situation, obviously, wasn't quite quite a quite a non emergency, but still, you picked up on something tre- or early so that you could treat it, right? So more options there.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I I I just thought it was such a a, a strong call. You know, if if you're getting your pet into the vet, you know, if you're going for the little concerns, then you're not going to have to deal with those situations where, you know, you're potentially feeling that you're not getting optimal care from your vet because you waited until it was a big concern and you had less options. Um, yep. Yeah, I thought I thought that, but yeah. Well, Jeff, this is, this has been a fantastic discussion. I, you know, I I don't know if there's anything else that you want uh, folks uh, out there in the world to uh, to know about RUVET. I, I I think what you guys are doing is phenomenal. We clearly need more veterinarians. We need more veterinarians, you know, enjoying a positive work life balance and and good mental health, um, so that they can focus yeah. on on their passion. But um,
1: I appreciate that. The only other thing I can say is if you are a, a vet or a vet technician and you're looking to learn more about us, you can visit us at Vet. Um, that's our website and there's links to download our app as well as to sign up there. So we'd love to, uh, talk to you more about Roo and thank I, you for the.
0: Yeah. Thank you. It, it, it's been a great conversation. And, uh, again, this, this is Peter Kenseth. I'm a vice president at Maya strategy group. Uh, we, uh, we guide, uh, Organizations in the uh, pet care, animal health, uh, healthcare, insurance space, um, and help them make strategic decisions based on uh, customized primary market research. Um, so, happy to uh, call attention to a, uh, a a burgeoning player in the uh, the veterinary relief space. And uh, Jeff, thank you so much for the time, and uh, look forward to keeping in touch going forward and and, and seeing uh,
1: Ruse growth uh, down the down the road. Yeah, I, I appreciate that so much, Peter. Thanks for the time.